Well, good evening. It's good, good to see everyone. <clears throat> if you are visiting with us, give you a little heads up. Uh, one of the things that we have worked on from time to time is doing a better job of fulfilling the command of the Lord in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, and that is to work on, and in Ephesians 4 and verse uh, uh, 11 through 13, to work on growing to the unity of the faith and the maturity unto the, unto the uh, measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. And uh, chapter 1, verse 10 of 1 Corinthians telling us to have the same mind, the same goals, thinking the same things. And in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, where he said, we are not to forsake our assembling together, but instead, in gathering, we are to stir one another up to love and good works. So typically, I grew up with never an opportunity, not much of an opportunity for a church as a whole uh, to do that. And uh, so occasionally then on Sunday evenings, we're going to work on all of us getting, getting our input in so that we can help one another in the kinds of applications that are necessary to set forth better things in, in the congregation here. And tonight has to do with priorities. So the text that we just read for us in Matthew 18, 1 through 14, I hope you notice first and foremost that this is not divided up into Jesus answered the question of whoever, who's the greatest into, uh, well, I answered that in the first four verses, now let me go off the rails and talk about a number of other things. <laughs> That's not the way this worked, even though your Bible will have some serious paragraph divisions there and some different titles. This is all connected, as a matter of fact, for your own personal study. The entire chapter, all of chapter 18, is answering the question of who's the greatest. And there's some unique applications that we'll be able to hopefully look at part of these first 14 verses. I'm expecting that, that much of the application process will, uh, and I'm planning, Lord willing, and, uh, uh, and see how it goes tonight, that next Sunday night we'll get into more of how we're going to apply this in a practical sense. We'll get into some of that tonight but we're gonna to look to practical applications. And I'm gonna leave you with a, a big question at the end to get your mind thinking and prepared for what we might discuss then next Sunday night. In the meantime, tonight we want to get a good grasp of what Jesus is saying in this text and, and get down to some practicality. So I could preach this, but you're gonna get more out of it. I'm gonna get more out of it if I hear your ideas on how we as a congregation can improve with this text. I find this text extremely challenging for me as a person, and I think it's challenging for every single Christian and certainly challenging for a, a church. So first little exercise before I ask you some questions. You might notice that, as I have said, the, the whole text begins in verse 1. Please have this text in front of you, by the way. We'll be referring to a number of things. When you see in verse 1, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus begins to answer, skip down to verse 12 and notice where he goes with it, in which he says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and then go in search of the one that went astray? So, uh, 
the the interesting statement in the beginning in in the in verse 12 as he concludes this particular section of answering the question is leave the 99 and go after the one astray so here's the big question how does that connect with who's the greatest in the kingdom isn't that a weird kind of weird isn't it, it it's just well, that's not where i expected him to go with this and so that's our job tonight let's figure out how he got from answering the question who's the greatest and how are the disciples hearing this i could just imagine them going wait a minute we were asking who's the greatest <laughs> and the next thing we know we're talking about leaving the 99 and going after the one astray that 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 is just a disconnect and i think major disconnect for us christians who read bibles that have uninspired things in it right we're reading all kinds, every Bible you have, it has, is, has uninspired things in it. Verse divisions, chapter divisions, titles at the beginning of paragraphs, all of these things to break our mind up so that we're not seeing the continuity of one full speech that Jesus gives here. This is one of his major discourses. And it's been divided up, you know, and all this. So it is very important that we consider uh, carefully these things. So let's... Let's begin uh, with this, this question, who is the grace? I'm going to suggest that this transitions, he starts in, verse, in, the, in these first few verses, and then transitions as he goes, and we'll look for you to see some of the, some of the transition that goes on here. And so the first thing that you see that he does in verse 2 is he calls to him a child, puts him in the midst of them, and said to them, Truly I say to you, unless you deter and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let that soak in. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. All right, let's, let's start with that. He mentions specifically what it is about a child that is so important and he talks about humbling himself as a child so here's our first question what does that look like what would you say it means for us as christians to learn to actually humble ourselves as a child what what happens in humility here what what actually takes place? That's a tough one. Any ideas? You could, you could say this. Well, I'm the most humble person I know. You know, you could try that one. <laughs> I don't think that'll work, really. Alan. There's a lot of things you think about a child, but humility's not the first one that comes <laughs> No, exactly, exactly. Right, right. Yeah, he's not saying become childish. In fact, other places he says, equip yourself like a man, be mature, etc. But there's something, what is it about the humility of a child? What, how can we identify that? Okay. Uh, a child accepts 
truth from an authority. Uh, just very, very dependent. Could we say that, uh, Micah? Yeah. Good. Yeah. So, so how dependent are we on God like a child? That would be, I think, first question. So we struggle with that. Um, it takes humility to accept that. Yeah, it takes humility to accept that. Um, I grew up in a period of time where you pulled, on your, pulled, pulled up your boots and you went to work and uh, you, didn't, you didn't need any, you know, you, you didn't ask for help because you need to get that done. You need to do it. And uh, so learning to be dependent on God, one of the things Ecclesiastes teaches a lot about is that we don't have the control over life that we act like we do. So dependency is really important. Anything else? Okay, accepting instruction and and uh, yeah, not, not <laughs> yeah. He knows he doesn't know. He knows he doesn't have experience. Okay, good. So there's a dependency. There's this humility of accepting instruction and stuff. Being childlike before our heavenly Father is really important because we're going to keep ourselves always thinking about what he wants and from my life pleasing him and that's going to be very very important and not thinking i'm better than what better than others one of the thematic statements in the book of luke done by a number of parables and incidents and Luke is always trying to instruct us don't look down on other people Jesus said it this way in Matthew 7 do not judge do not judge so how many times do you pass judgment just by when you just see somebody <laughs> it's like it's like it's on default in your brain. <laughs> you know, it's like this passes through my mind. What a dope. <laughs> so, can't, even, can't even drive and stop at the stop sign, you know, or something like whatever it is. Just, just anything can, can trigger that, that crazy uh, thought in our minds. So why is that so important? Why is it important for us never, ever to think of somebody as less than us? Yeah, because if we're looking at that, then, then we're not judging ourselves. We're not examining ourselves. We've put that energy into somebody else. And what's the likelihood that I'm going to give much care and love toward that person if I'm seeing them less than me? That's the thing that you saw in the parable of the Samar uh, Good Samaritan. The problem with the priest and the Levite is he walks by and they go, you know, that guy's... That guy must be really a bad person for God to let him get in that situation. That's how they thought. 
And so they're like, I shouldn't interrupt what God's done to him. <laughs> Pass right on by. Samaritan, as hated as he was, did not, did not look at this man as being less than him. That's one thing you see all the way through book book of Luke. You cannot love. I think Chip mentioned this, or yeah, I think Chip mentioned this in one of the one of the lessons maybe last week. How you love your neighbor as yourself. What's but the good Samaritan? Well, there's only one way you do that is you don't think of your neighbor as less than you. You don't think of yourself as as uh, better than anybody. So. First and foremost, I think that's the idea that he's getting across with humility. Because when the apostles ask the question, who's the greatest in the kingdom? What are they thinking? Somebody tell me what they're thinking. Which one of us? Yeah, which one? Yeah, pick me. Yeah, pick me. <laughs> you wonder if they're not going, which of the 12 of us is the greatest? <laughs> we know from some of the other accounts. We get to chapter 20, chapter 20 in, in Matthew, and he brings that up. And they bring it up again. What were you arguing about on the road? Uh, who was the greatest? Didn't you hear the sermon I just gave? <laughs> you could just imagine Jesus just pulling his hair out, Chip. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's right. In fact, James and John just stepped up and go, we're going to take the bull by the horns here. And uh, uh, can we just sit at your right and your left? I mean, we, 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 uh, we think we deserve that, that position. Uh, good old John. <laughs> so good. Trusting. Yeah, it's a great trust there. So that's, that's a really good point because all of us read things in Scripture that require things of us that are uncomfortable. And the tendency is, if I do that, if I commit myself to that, well, what's going to happen is I've got to give something else up that is pretty important to me. And if I do that, is God going to replace what I'm going to have to give up? Because secretly, that's just kind of a little idol that I have. It's not a sinful thing necessarily. It's just something I like. <laughs> and I know to do what he just asked me to do means I've got to sacrifice some time and effort that I usually do what I really like. And this is going to divert my attention from that. Will he provide the things I need to satisfy what I'm going to miss? That is a really challenging individual, cha individual thing we all deal with. Because we have a possession of time that we are very, very <laughs> protective of. And... When you read in Scripture, there's just lots of times. Uh, you've probably had this. I know I've had this where maybe you've gone through a number of weeks where you are pretty worn out in the efforts that you've been giving. And you have a tendency to want to go, okay, enough. And true, there's a time to rest. I don't want you to get an idea there isn't. Jesus took his disciples and gave them time to rest. 
You know, I found a lot of times what happens is, is if I just trust him, make sure I'm trying to be balanced, but just trust him, something happens and he gives me the time off. <laughs> something changes. I'll, it'll come along and all of a sudden I'll hit a week and uh, I'll only teach a third of the classes I usually teach. And I go, oh, I, I hate it that those had to be can those were canceled, but <laughs> maybe I can catch up a little bit. And and you have the same thing. There's th things like that. And of course, the other side of the coin is we can commit, overcommit ourselves. But the bottom line is trusting is a really really important uh, point here. So notice how he, what he says in verse three. He says um, uh, verse three and four. He says, I and said truly I say to you. Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of, of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Now, I want you to concentrate on this idea of receiving. First, answer the question based on just receiving a child like Ellis. Uh, Lucy, what a, just receiving a child. What is that? What does that have to do with humility? Remember, you're not the parent. <laughs> you're not the parent. You're receiving a child. What does that have to do with humility? Michael. You, you are placing an investment in some, if, if you aren't, ha, do not have humility to use, and, and, and to you, it's relationships are, what can, what do I need? The child is usually not going to provide a lot of that. That's one thing, sure. There was a saying I, I, that I heard around, not from my family, but I heard around when I was growing up, some of you older ones might know, Pika. Yeah, recognizing the value of a child, okay? That is, that's really important. Why should I care about a child? Because I need to recognize this is a great treasure. This is a gift. I was thinking about that yesterday as in, in some of my prayers just, just hit me about the gift that God has given all of us with these children. These children are amazing gifts from God. Uh, my own grandchildren, amazing gifts from God. And, and we need to really value that. And as somebody who doesn't value that, is like the saying I used to hear when I was growing up, children should be seen and not heard. <laughs> so, uh, some of you have probably heard that one. And, and I always thought, that's not nice. <laughs> I was like, wait, not nice at all. Um, but there's great rewards. There are great rewards with children, maybe not in the same way, but a person who isn't humble says, get the kids out of here. In fact, in chapter 19, 
of Matthew, you might notice down in verse 13. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and, and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. He's now said it a second time. The disciples are going, Hey, we're, you know, we're more important than having to deal with these children. See that difference? A person who doesn't care about a child is a person who thinks too highly of themselves. A person who's not looking at what real value is. And so there's a, there's a beauty in that, and I think interesting. So now, now as, we, as we look at it, I want you to see the definition of, of receive. In the Greek, to admit, to grant access to, to approve, to bear with patiently. When somebody receives you, that's really valuable. Jesus uses a synonym, I mean, Paul uses a synonym for that in Romans 14, verse 1, where he says, Receive those brethren in your midst and not to judge them on their opinions. And he goes on the difference between receiving somebody, the opposite is judging someone. Receive them. You're accepting them where they are, aren't you? You're, you, you, there are all kinds of flaws, especially if they are a child. <laughs> and especially if they are a spiritual child. Lots of things that go on. Receive, accept is, is the idea. You know, you, you, we all have relationships in which you come around somebody and you don't feel accepted. Not fully. Maybe he's a little superficial at times, things like this. Am I really accepted? So how does that apply with the church? What's this the first thing would come to your minds? How that would apply to a congregation? Somebody visits, visits and you want to make sure they know they're accepted. And that it doesn't make a bit of difference in the world to us, whether you've been here 30 years or you've been here one day. You are important to us. And you are accepted and received. It's that kind of non-judgmental attitude. And it, it comes in conversations and it comes in how you speak and it comes in brothers and sisters in the church that aren't so concerned about did I get to talk to so and so today as they are concerned did I get to talk and receive someone who might feel somewhat on the outside. Okay? How would that go beyond just being in the assembly by the way? How do you show somebody that has maybe visited, how do you show somebody that they're accepted and received beyond just the assembly? Someone who you can see, 
then it's impossible for you to say that you can love God when you can't see. He's okay. talking in principle there about what to love about, but it is serious. Right. And I think of this passage of scripture in a child. Child is completely dependent. It's already been said, completely dependent on somebody doing things for them. You can't do everything for themselves. So when you transfer that to adults, we act most like what Jesus wants us to act like when we see what we can do for others. And that's what the principle here is. Good. Are we really seeing what we can do for others? Good. I would just say the first thing you said, the, that you actually said two things. Spend time with them and seek to see if there were needs that you could help with. The first thing is spend time with them. So it isn't enough just to be accepting in a brief conversation before or after a worship period or whatever. Taking that to the next level being as Barnabas was, being an encourager, taking the time with them. Again, we don't win souls and we don't grow and help people who, with whom we do not spend time with. You can't, we mentioned this in our class this morning, you can't uh, just throw verse grenades at people and expect them to uh, jump on, on board and, and grow up. It has to be a relationship in which there's trust that's built that takes time, that takes money, that takes messing up our schedule. There's a lot to that. And that's a really, really hard point to get across. So notice verse 5 as he transitions into verse 5 and 6 when he says, but whoever causes one of these little ones and he adds these words who believe in me to sin. Okay? So he's transitioned from talking about this little child that he's brought in their midst to an individual who is a child spiritually. And you think of maybe Ephesians chapter uh, 4 and verse 14 where he said we're to grow to the point where we're not like children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Would that be a good description of maybe most people that you run into that aren't Christians in the world? Yeah, they, they don't have a basis for knowing what's right and what's wrong. They just make guesses on the basis of maybe background or whatever and don't have a, 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 a biblical foundation that they need. So he he's transitions then to not causing this little one, as he refers to them, who believe in me, to then sin. By the way, the word in the ESV translates sin. In, in the Greek word is not the word for sin. It, I'm always disappointed when I, a translation does this. You just stop it. <laughs> the word is stumbling, stumbling block. And, uh, and, and uh, uh, scandalon in the Greek. Sound like scandalous, sound like something like that. Scandalon in the Greek. It's the idea of causing, doing something either by how you act or what you say to either discourage them from doing what's right or encouraging them uh, to do what's wrong. So he says, this is, this is what happens. You, you, you come and you have to receive, we've talked about what this looks like, but now receive to the point where we are not causing them to stumble in any way. 
So whoever causes one of these little ones to sin, or that is stumble, what's the end result? Their soul is lost. What's your soul? He said, you would rather the mafia <laughs> tie us, tie, put cement boots on you and throw you into uh, Charles River or whatever those rivers are they throw them into in uh, New York or Chicago or whatever. You'd rather have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown in the depths of the sea than to cause one person to stumble. No, as I said, verse 6, he transfers, transfers from talking about a little child. I mean, it's true of a little child, too. I mean, you could cause a little child <laughs> some lifelong trauma. But he's trans, he transitions to an individual who believes in me. So he's, he's talking about a, a person who becomes a Christian but is very young, very new in the faith. Of course, the same thing would apply to a person who's not a Christian and is seeking, and you would have an opportunity to help them, obviously. But he's right now talking about, because they ask the question, who's the greatest, like, among us? <laughs> and so he's talking about believers, but he says, let's start with a new believer, somebody who is vulnerable. And we all know uh, person who's a new Christian, person who's a young Christian, person who's grown up in the church, quote unquote, on the pew, but is still young. Um, you know, statistics are showing just across general Christianity that uh, in the past number of years, somewhere around 80% of kids from 18 to 35 are falling away. Got a new transition going on here. And there's things we should be doing to help stop that. And that's some of the things we want to talk about in the future. So those, those sorts of things are very, very dangerous here. Now he pronounces something that the, the punishment and the judgment he's saying. How serious you think Jesus is right here? He is trying to impress on our heads. I don't want you to hurt one of these little ones. So think about the amount of effort that goes into encouraging, helping. See, a lot of that is not just waiting for them to trip over something and fall on their face. It's usually too late. Who do you have the best pocket change with, if I might use that term. Who do you have the best pocket change with? When in their life do you have that best pocket change? Before they stumble or after? Yeah, before. So here's a great exercise for you. I, I love it that Chad does this all the time. Every week he sits down and goes over the membership and he just he goes over each one and he figures out who's the greatest need right now and he looks at that carefully that's something we should all do and there is usually in any given church doesn't matter where you are there's at least about 15 percent of the membership that are vulnerable they're in a position where something could trip them up so 
what do we do to help them and keep them from tripping up? It's before. Connections, deep connections. Can you imagine how silly it would be for an elder, for one thing, a shepherd in the, in the church, much less the rest of us. We just wait till people start falling away and we go, wait a minute, I haven't seen so-and-so in a few weeks. Let me go knock on their door. You got no pocket change. You've never tried to connect to them. You know what they're thinking if they don't say it? And I've heard, I've heard them say it to elders where they just said, oh, now you care? Now you're going to connect with me? A little late. We all have a job like that, especially to those who, are, who we have opportunities with. When you pray, have your directory there. Look carefully. Who's the 15%? Who are those that I could predict may have some problems because of their circumstances? All of us can, mind you. But there's always some who are younger, who have needs, who are anybody who is single. <laughs> A lot of times, and they need connections, especially the younger ones. They need connections. So what can we do? If we're going to receive, accept, not cause to stumble, keep them from stumbling, it's those connections outside of the assembly that are going to be very important. So all of my life in preaching, every single year, I say, what is the greatest need of this church? And every single year, I have the same answer. I need more members who are like Barnabas, who go out of their way to connect with other members, especially those who are, who are vulnerable or have a potential of being vulnerable. That's one thing that all of us can work on better. And we get busy. I know that. But if every one of us take responsibility for that, we're going to accomplish what we need to accomplish. No one person can do all of that. But you figure out ways outside of your inner circle. Make a bigger inner circle, in other words. Questions, comments? Additional things? Okay. So, verse 7. Notice what he begins with. Woe. What does that remind you of? Other places in the Bible, what's that remind you of? Okay. Jesus' speech to the Pharisees, Matthew 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Good. What about the Old Testament? Somebody else? I didn't hear anybody. Sorry. Oh, yeah, prophets say that, exactly. A lot of the prophets start with woe to them and uh, all that. This is a great statement of absolute condemnation. Jesus just does not put up with it. Woe to those. So a really big danger here. Now, notice verses 8 and 9. Look what, look what he does. Tell me if this fits into your thinking here. 
So verse 8 and 9, And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it from you or throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown in eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than having two eyes to be thrown into hell of fire. How does that fit what he just, this context here, what he just said? How does that fit that? Any ideas? Is it the, the temptation to be lazy and let the little ones fall into that sin? Okay. Living, <coughs> living in a particular way acting in a particular way, saying things in a particular way, having a lifestyle in a particular way that you know full well somebody vulnerable, you're going to cause them to stumble. See, this is a different context than what he says, like in Mark 9, he says these same things, but he seems to be talking about them individually. Don't do something to lose your salvation. But in this case, he says, don't do something that would cause them to sin and you lose your salvation because you were unwilling to cut off certain things in your life, like maybe time and what I want to do with my time or whatever. Don't let that, don't let that keep you from doing it. So he's talking about a discipline and sacrifices that have to be made in order to save some souls. Can you give me some New Testament examples of people who made severe sacrifices that you would say would be somewhat equivalent to cutting off your hand or your foot or plucking out your eye? Yeah, okay. Yeah, that was the first one I thought of too. <laughs> Timothy, I need you to be a Jew from now on because we're going to go into a lot of synagogues. I know you're a grown man, but regardless, and I know there's no anesthesia, but regardless, and uh, here we go. And Timothy goes, all righty. Makes a sacrifice. How about Paul? Take a look at Paul's words over in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. What's the first word you notice? Made myself a servant to who? To all. You walk through this world, you walk through your life, thinking of yourself and everybody you meet, I need to be a servant to this person. Hard to think that way. I got my th stuff to do. <laughs> I've got an agenda. I've got a schedule. Uh, you're in my way. Stop, slow down. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, to the, that I might win the weak. I became all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I'm not going to save them all. They won't all respond. But I'm doing everything I can to save some. That's my, that's my attitude. 
everything I can to save some. And I will make whatever sacrifices I have to make. He made sacrifices in what he would eat. He made sacrifices in his uh, whatever monies he would get uh, for the work he did. Everything he's doing is so he can possibly save some. Verse 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in the blessings. Skip over to chapter 10 and look at verse 31. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense. This is the same kind of, this is the same word that's used over in Matthew 18. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. Not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Get rid of your um, um, uninspired chapter division. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So lest we thought that all he was saying is, look at me and look what I do. He says, look at what I'm doing because you're supposed to imitate this. And everything you do, you're thinking about how can I serve so someone else can hear the gospel. So transfer that, everybody right now, take a moment to think about somebody you know that is not a Christian. Put them in your mind. Um, in our text, down in verse 14, Jesus concluded this section by saying, So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. You have that person in your mind? It is not the will of the Father that one of these should perish. When I think of the people that I did not follow up with the opportunities that I had, And I think of how I kept saying, yeah, I've got to get to that. And then they died before I did. I kick myself every day about that. They perished. It's not the will of the Heavenly Father that one of these little ones should perish. So, you know, there's simple things. Chip mentioned this morning what we see in, I think I have it up here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at Paul's example. We've been studying this in our adult class. His care over them, like a nursing mother with a child, gentle, caring, we didn't just give you the gospel. We gave you our own lives. The hardest thing you'll do is investing your life in a person so that they can hear the gospel. Louie and I talked about this after the first year that we studied together. <laughs> and Louie made a wild guess. He says, I think you've spent about 400 hours with me. <laughs> in one year. I said, nah, I don't think it was that much. I think it was 300 though. 
How many times you call me? How many times you email? It's just constant. Louis came out of a of a tough mental and and uh, disoriented about what's true and what's not. He read all kinds of things online, which would get him more confused <laughs> and stuff like this. And every time he'd have a meltdown, I needed to be there, which was a joy. I'm not saying it was anything but. But that's what it takes. And oftentimes people do not realize, well, if I'm going to convert this person, I just need to throw some verses at them. I need to sit down, have a quick Bible study or something like that. No, you don't just give them the gospel. You give them your life. And that's next level. If we were to ask ourselves the question, why are we not more successful in reaching people? That would be the first answer. Is we are hesitant to give our life usually because we're overcommitted in a lot of different ways that we shouldn't be because we haven't taken and said, I need to have so much time. Like I know a lot of you, uh, most of us probably do this, where we set aside certain amount of our wages in case there is a need with a brother or a sister, a neighbor or whatever, and we have that set aside so that we go, oh no, you know. Well, same thing with time. Same thing with time. Don't get so overcommitted that when you meet somebody, you think, boy, I need to get to know them better and I need to share my life with them, but I don't have time because I have too many other things going on. It is not the will of your heavenly father that one of these little ones perish. Okay. So I didn't get quite as far as I wanted. Application practically today, we want to talk about uh, some of those things. And we want to talk about what it means for their angels to always see the face of my father. You see that there in verse, uh, <clears throat> verse 10. Uh, that's interesting. And, uh, and then if God's always aware, what is he really looking for in us? And then here's the big question, which, okay, that's not the big question. Uh, how do you skip? You just want to skip a slide, you know. How do I don't know how you do this? So we want to talk about these things here, but I want you to get down to this last point. Are there scriptural changes we could make as a church that would enable us to receive and not cause one to stumble? I want to think about things maybe in how we handle worship. Um... Maybe exterior things, whatever. What can we do to make us look and sound, and I don't mean in a superficial way, but actually be the kind of people that will enable more to come to Christ? What's hindering us right now? Okay. I'm, I'm interested in your input. So we'll talk about some of the other things, but that's our plans, uh, Lord willing, for next Sunday night. Okay. You've been great. I appreciate very much. Uh, looking forward to your thoughts. Look back over chapter 18, especially looking at those last verses we didn't talk about, uh, verse uh, 10 through 14. There's a lot of interesting applications I think we can make there, and we'll talk about some of those. And then this final question. Okay? Thank you very much. We're going to sing a song right now, and we love it if we can help you in any way. All of us here feel that way. Uh, and you would be uh, really uh, honoring us if you gave us the opportunity to help you in any way that you need.
uh, and you can let that be known to us uh, at any time. And right now we, we're going to uh, stand and sing this song of encouragement.